Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back once again to the GGWP, a.k.a. the Geeks and Gaming Worldwide Podcast. I've always wanted to do that voice on the radio. <laughs> and it's a podcast, so you know what? It counts. It counts as a radio. I'm taking this victory. You guys can't take it away from me. Hi, Magical. Hi, Chase. How are you guys doing? It's been a week. How are we feeling, gents? I never told you I was on the radio once. What? Yeah, I did that for That's my... awesome, uh, dude. Back in, back in my college days, yeah. Oh, okay, that makes so much sense, actually. <laughs> I've learned something new. That's great. I yeah, am still real. trying to wrap my head around the fact that we live in a world in which Jaden Smith is now going to play the lead role in an anthology series covering the alternate realities of ten different Kanye Wests. That's the world we live in. <laughs> that is a sense that is true. And because I said it, now Pira has to put it in the show notes. But if I have to live with that knowledge... We were debating about this for a while, but Chase just pulled the power move. Um, oh, don't worry. Yeah. I got stuff later on, Chase. <laughs> you think you got this. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, the way you describe it, like it, 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 is, very, it is very bizarre. And to be honest, it's probably going to make an even weirder show than Love, Death, and Robots, which we are back with this week. So a little bit of previews for you uh, folks out there listening but hey you know we're getting ahead of ourselves right that's that's all in the pop culture section we've still got esports and gaming before we get to that and on the esports front let's dive right into it with msi which just wrapped up the uh play in stages just the other day and man that was some pretty cool stuff we had uh you know we had a lot of teams performing we had group b had an interesting setup with vegas squadron actually dominating out of the gates we had group a uh going mostly as expected except oh wait Bombers took a game off Fongvu Buffalo. Suck it, Chase. <sighs> Man, Fongvu, why you gotta do me like that? <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm not mad at Fongvu. Fongvu is what they are and did basically what I expected. They're a very high variance team. Isaris, guys, buddies, what happened? Where were you day one? It just, like, it just was so many unforced errors. Like, this tournament. This tournament had only enough room for one shark-based team. <laughs> fair. Harsh, but fair. See, I was right about the detonation focus me. Everyone said that no way is this Japanese team even going to contend, and they almost made it out. So I feel more validated. Well, almost as in they did better than anyone expected. But they still they still did well, and I, I'm happy about that. Bombers winning what, a game against What Spongebob? was up with... Huh? Yeah, I was going to say, what's up with the analysts? They were A lot of them were predicting Mega to do really well in nah. and I was super surprised by that. Nah, me and Chase both had that down. We knew that Mega wasn't going to be that great. It's The the thing for Mega is they're coming out of Grana, and a lot of people looked at that region as being a strong region before, purely because of Vietnam being in that region before, and it being that team everyone contended with. There's Ascension Gaming, who came into Worlds last year, and they were all right, but they were not a favorite by any stretch of the imagination going into the play-in stage. So I don't understand why people would then look at Ascension and now Mega and say, oh, Mega's definitely the favorite in that group. It just didn't click well, for me. this is the Group B problem, right, where the uh, power levels were so disparate between Group A and Group B. If you don't like Mega, who do you like? Do you feel great about INTZ, who did worse than Mega and made Brazil look like a laughing stock of a region despite the you know, lead that they had in terms of infrastructure for years before this recent franchising push? Do you feel good about Vega Squadron, the Russian team that looked the messiest on paper and had probably the dirtiest games uh, in terms of macro understanding and execution 
of any team of the play-in. Dude, dude, Heim- Heimerdinger bot lane. That's Look, all I got to say. Anybody does I'm that, a fan. I'm a fan. I enjoyed the chaos, Seros. but they are chaos. And I think a lot of casters naturally lean against that. I think there's, you know, I think this is the SKT effect and the Korea effect for so many years of League of Legends is that we all just, because that clean macro equals good, anything else equals bad. And I think that the casters, when evaluating these play-in teams, didn't make that transition all the way. I think this is also why they didn't like Dead Nation Focus Me, a team that was really good at skirmishing but had some big problems elsewhere. I, I think that these are the teams mm-hmm. that are starting to succeed. And in, in, I know that they didn't win, but it's worth noting that uh, Dead Nation Focus Me and Fenerbahce, both winning records here, both in minor regions that now have a franchising system. So this is not the last that we are going to hear from these regions, though maybe one of those two teams not feeling great right now. Uh, no spoilers, but uh, yikes. Yikes is a good way. Oof. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I mean, we did have some news that came out, especially with Fenerbahce. I mean, like, uh, you know, usually when a, a smaller region's team kind of gets a, a big shot at international events, uh, we see sometimes players getting offers from other teams, but usually I'm thinking of this in the context of like an EU Masters or something like, you know, last year after Mad Lions won and then a bunch of their players went into the LEC. But this is MSI. This is the best team in Turkey. And Fenerbahce lost two of their players, two of their best players. Ruin got picked up by CLG and Kire got picked up by Misfits, like in literally a day after they went out. Um, I mean, it's great news for them, but like, wow, feels bad, man, if you're Fenerbahce. I mean, this is something I always want to see after I watch MSI, after I watch Worlds, is more regions and more teams that are that have more money, like NA, like EU. Even you looking at LPL, sometimes they do this where they look at Vietnam and they're like, okay, let's pick up some of the players over there and bring them on board. I always want to see more of these major regions with more money pick up these players who are proving themselves. Ruin definitely proving himself well with Fenerbahce. Same with Kire, who's always been around in EU and kind of had fallen off to the wayside for a while. So it's nice to see him get another chance. And honestly, I think more teams need to do this in general. Not even just because you can get some really interesting and unique talent, but you can also broaden your fan base. So for teams that maybe are struggling a little bit more, we saw this with 100 Thieves. People don't even realize this with their academy team when they had Levi on their roster. That a lot of the Vietnamese fans actually like to watch just 100 Thieves playing because obviously they wanted to support Levi. And so I think for newer teams, so if you look at like Clutch, if you look at Golden Guardians, if you look at teams that aren't really having that big of a fan base that has been developing, maybe taking these players that are starting to prove themselves in these wildcard regions, bringing them on can really help bolster how people will now view you. Well, and certainly, you know, I I think these two particular signings are are interesting because both of them have a a wealth of experience in some of those uh, major regions already. Uh, Obviously, Ruin played for Giants Gaming in 2018, and was their best player for most of that whole sequence. Um, very good laner, very good presence in terms of carry champions. He has a decent enough pro- uh, champion pool. Really could have easily signed with another European team in the offseason before the 2019 split, and we would not have blinked. So this is something that makes a lot of sense for, for him. Kire obviously has been bouncing around for forever within the European scene. He's well-known, uh, has hit uh, number one on the EU West ladder several times 
um, Forgiven seems to hate the guy, but other than that, everyone seems to have nice things to say about him. I mean, honestly, that's a rite of passage. Who doesn't? It's true. It's. Yeah, trust me. After after four years of casting that region, if Forgiven hates you, you probably have a a decent reputation somewhere else. That's fair, and I'm glad that it worked out for him. I'm just uh, I'm looking at these pieces, and on the other end, for CLG, wasn't weren't they like training Fallen Bandit to replace Darshan? Like, what what must be happening there? I don't I don't know, man. I think NA can't resist the the siren song of imports especially korean imports like they seem to be the most susceptible region to it in my, in my opinion year over year like even after europe um you know ended up losing a lot of theirs because they had picked up players that didn't quite pan out and they persists with this and I, I think they're always a region that's going to favor that over homegrown talent for whatever well, reason it's because i think it's that's if we're getting into a whole other territory here it's more that most of these teams don't know how to develop homegrown talent you look at how clg were they were developing fallen bandit to come in but it wasn't working. They couldn't really find a way to fit them in because they didn't understand how to really facilitate that as an organization. So for them, instead of trying to pull the Cloud9 who understand how to develop new talent, who understand how to build these guys up... Cloud9 are the exception for sure. Exactly. They're the exception. They understand how to do that. Most teams don't, so they have to fall onto imports and try to rely on that in order to be Well, better. and I want to give FlyQuest a shout-out on that cool. as well with uh, with JJ and Viper. Oh, yeah, FlyQuest um, I also just want to say real quick, because someone from my Discord asked me to mention the Misfits side of it. I don't think Max Lord is a problem with Misfits. I'm not sure this really moves the needle at all, but it'll make them feel better. I guess that's... You get that positive vibe from a change in scenery. I'm actually a little surprised. Max has been with the team for so long, but, yeah, maybe that's what you need after, a, you know a season where you kind of expect to make the playoffs and you just don't. But, uh, you know, we'll get into that the next time we talk about the LEC. Before we move on, we should talk about the team that did make it out of the playing stages, Fangfu Buffalo, but it was very close, actually. Surprisingly, they ended up getting nearly reverse swept by Vegas Squadron, but they did make it in. Before we get into, like, the schedule and the other teams that are present at the main event... Gentlemen, what, what are the expectations on Fang Fu? Do you think they can take some games off the big boys? I think they're going to take some games. The question is how much. I, I think this is a team that screams 2-8 and eight to me in terms of where they end up. I think Same. that they can absolutely sneak a game off of a team like, say, G2 uh, with some sort of early cheese strat that throws them off guard. Um, you know, some really early dives and invades and whatever else, kind of preying on G2's aggressive traits. I think they could absolutely throw Team Liquid for a loop once. I think, you know, Ameliotis, you know, really counter-jungling X-Smithy hard and trying to snowball off that. Uh, Flash Wolves are vulnerable to everybody, as far as I'm concerned. They looked better than I thought they were going to, but I'm still not sure I trust that jungle-mid-lane combo and so I think that can be exploited. The The key is I, I just don't think it's uh, repeatable, and I don't think that Fong Lu is very consistent. That series went to five games because they made mental errors in those third and fourth games that they should not have made given the caliber of play that they previously shown. And I honestly, I thought the same about the Team Liquid series. You can say what you want about Team Liquid got the 3-0 on paper, looked great, but games one and two, Fangvu Buffalo had the lead and threw because they weren't as talented as Team Liquid was on a player-by-player basis. The micro just went Team Liquid's way. I think Fangvu can learn from that and grab a game from them in the group stage, but I don't think that Fangvu, if they can't get past Liquid, um, and it's that one-sided, uh, Invictus, uh, SK Telecom, 
like this is this gets scarier and scarier as you go on so uh i think it's interesting you bring up the liquid side of it chase because um i remember seeing the analysts discussing it afterwards and and how like you know you could you could call this damage control if you want but an interesting point that first garen raised was that you know like Liquid aren't that team that crush it out in the early game anyways. You will see them doing better in, like, mid-game fights where micro is super important. And you look at that lineup and you're like, yeah, okay, I can see that being the case when you look at players, um, you know, like Doublelift and Core JJ, who, like, in these mid-game fights, you're going to see them kind of ha- have their uh, have their best play. Uh, whereas laning phase, you know, you might see that in NA, but maybe not so much internationally. Uh, the same thing's true in the mid lane with Jensen. Like, I, I think there's some there's some points to be had there that Liquid are a little bit of a slower team anyways. But the problem is, if a team just Lane Kingdom rolls them, then yeah, I can see Liquid being in trouble. Yeah, I'm sure G2 and IG will be happy to wait for Liquid to get to the point where they're comfortable. You know, they're very patient teams and understanding. And well, here's the thing about G2: they're playing with Promise Q and not Mickey X, yeah. and I wonder how much that's going to affect the team. Like, I think it means the bot lane. Like, I I hate to say it, I don't mean to throw shade at Promise Q, but he's not on the same caliber as Mickey. And Perks used to be a mid laner. I kind of feel like this is a losing bot lane against most of these teams. Agreed. And that's the, the that was what I was going to bring up where I kind of am looking at Feng Fu is I think they'll be able to take a game off of G2 based off if it is going to be Promise Q over Mickey X just because of the injury. So if it is the case, it's purely about synergy. It's not even about Promise Q being bad. It's just you haven't had as much practice with him as you have with Mickey. So Perks, who isn't normally a bot laner, is going to have a little bit more of that troubling times against a lot of these other players. And I think Feng Vu will be a team that can definitely exploit that at least once. I don't think they're going to be able to do it twice. I think they'll be able to also exploit uh, Team Liquid. I don't think they're going to be able to do the same to uh, Flash Wolves. And the reason I actually am a little bit less on the hatred of Flash Wolves, where normally I would be, I look at Taiwan as not being that much uh, that strong of a region, is that this Flash, the Flash Wolves in general have always been a team that can rally back with whatever team they have, come back in. And they have Rather in the mid lane, who was a part of Griffin before, who kind of was training with uh, Chovy. He was a guy who helped get them promoted in the first place back in spring 2018, I believe. So... This guy's actually pretty good mechanically. He's not terrible. It's just you're you're competing with Chovy. Of course, Chovy's going to be the better guy, and I'd rather go with Chovy any day of the week. But I'm just looking at this Flash Wolf team, and I think that they have that potential to get the fourth seed here. I think that they could get a little bit higher than Team Liquid, dependent purely on how they play in the early game. I think if they're going to play really fast and loose, I think that's how a lot of teams exploit Team Liquid. We kind of were talking about that. They're a team that wants to wait it out. They're a team that wants to scale it up. And I think the meta right now is a lot more, can you win early and close it out pretty quickly? That's why we see the average of games be about 28 minutes. It's because it's a lot quicker. It's a lot more about getting that like 14, 15 minute spike in your team and rallying together and finding those fights. Yeah, and I, I, I will say, uh, just because you guys bring up the Mickey slash Promise Q point, uh, according to uh, the latest uh, Euphoria podcast that I listened to, uh, he is going to be a game time decision. Uh, they have not finalized that he is not playing for the group stage. Uh, now, okay. that said, the way you, the Euphoria host talked about it was like, so do we know what's going on? No? Great. <laughs> They're not telling anyone anything. So it's it's very possible that they must. But... No, and that, that actually is good for G2 because mm, it, it keeps is. people guessing. Yeah, they're not going to let that secret up right away. So don't yell at yeah. us if Mickey plays in the group stage. At the time we record this, no one knows. And anyone who tells you they know is lying. Good catch, Chase. <laughs> 
by the way, that reminds me to call it the schedule. Of course, uh, MSI proper will begin on this Friday, the 10th of May. Uh, for those in the Pacific time zone, it is 3 a.m. But for Central European summertime, that is, of course, high noon. Uh, and speaking of high noon, we're going to move on, uh, mosey onto uh, a, a league that doesn't care about my time zone. <laughs> and that is, of course, going to be the Overwatch League. Um, actually, really quick, before before I do that, I do want to shout out that uh, our wonderful Chase Wassenaar has a pair of interviews with Tearwolf of Splice Vipers. So make sure you check those out. We will be putting them in the episode description. Uh, not a lot of time to talk about it today, but I know you were super excited about it, Chase. So uh, if you want to do a quick little shout out for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had the pleasure of talking to Tearwolf at the All-Stars event. Um, he was obviously representing uh, Latin America at that time. You know, he's the first Chilean to get imported to any major region. Uh, first Latin American player in general, if I understand correctly. Uh, great dude. Uh, such mm -hmm. a positive outlook on life. And someone who uh, is just so uh, insightful because of his kind of wide range of experiences. Highly recommend uh, you check those interviews out. You're going to fall in love with him as much as I and so many of his other uh, homegrown fans have, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thank you for doing that one, Chase. But okay, let's move in to the Overwatch League. The Stage 2 playoffs are set after this week, and a couple of firsts already being hit. The first first is the Shanghai Dragons. The team that famously went winless in Season 1 of the Overwatch League have managed to make it into the playoffs. And welcome to the playoffs. You're up against the undefeated San Francisco Shock. That's going to be the first matchup. <laughs> Still, this is a big milestone, I feel like. Uh, th this team had been struggling for so long. They seemed to find their footing uh, towards the back half of Stage 1, and, and now they made it into the playoffs. And it, it does feel like this is a, a big um, rags-to-riches story or success story for the Shanghai Dragons. I'm just happy for them. I'm happy for them that they've been able to do that. It's they ha It was so sad. I kept rooting for them last year, wanting them to get that one win. They got so close a couple times, and they didn't get they it. They were the Cleveland Browns of uh, of the Overwatch League. Yeah, yeah, that was a little unfortunate. But also, they're not the only Chinese team that's going to be in the playoffs. The, the Hangzhou Spark uh, also will be joining them. They'll be facing up against the London Spitfire uh, after that match. Uh, these are both on Friday, May 10th, May 10th as well. Um, but as I mentioned, uh, this is a much more NA-friendly time zone. That, that will begin at, I believe, 6 p.m. Uh, actually, on the Thursday before, because my schedule is on... Central European summertime, which is 3 a.m. because Blizzard doesn't care about Europe. And I'm really sad because I really want them to care yeah, about me. I... Um, at least at least Riot <laughs> cares about me, right? With the with the with the twelve PM start. Okay, yeah. sorry, go ahead, Chase. I'll, no, I, I, I do feel for you and I feel for uh, the Chinese fans who are probably so excited to get to watch uh, their teams play, and those time zones aren't necessarily conducive for them either. I just want to shout out uh, the Chengdu Hunters and the Guangzhou Charge, who both did very sweet, wholesome social media posts showing love for the Chinese teams that got through. There, there is like this different air to the Overwatch League and how teams interact with each other than I see in any other esport. Like you see, like Liquids, uh, you know, and Cloud Nine social media channels going at it all the time and. You know, kind of these, you know, back and forth meme trading. CSGO definitely has that kind of edge to it. And Overwatch League is just all decided like, hey, what if we did match previews with like really beautiful art that uh, is styled specifically to our team? And why don't we all just do these wholesome posts about each other when uh, these kinds of things come up? It's, it's very 
odd for someone like uh, who's had that kind of traditional sports background where you just don't do that for your rivals. But it's it's kind of fun, you know. I, I'm I'm in on it. It's nice, isn't it? It feels it feels fresh. Like it feels different, and I think that is a that is definitely something you can get behind, especially with the regional setup, right? Because unlike uh, like what we have in league, you have one region that's comprised of everyone in the world. Um, and, you know, we can talk until the cows come home about representation in the sense that, like, oh, yeah, Europe only has two teams, blah, 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 blah. Um, but it is cool because the Chinese fans, you know, when, when, when their team doesn't make it, they throw their weight behind the one that does. So you see a lot of love from not only the teams but also the fans of uh, both Shanghai Dragons and uh, Hangzhou uh, Spark. I, I, almost, I almost said charge, and I'm like, I've got to mix them up again because I keep doing that. Um, but that is pretty cool. And, I, I, you know, it's kind of like, hey, I always cheer for London Spitfire because they're the closest, um, you know, EU team. And technically Paris is a little bit closer, but they didn't make playoffs, so forget it. Uh, but, like, you know, when they're not there, I'm like, oh, you know, I guess maybe I'll cheer for, like, LA Gladiators who are up against NYXL in the next matchup of the playoffs because, you know, I'm, I'm from Southern California. So you can always kind of, like, find something to connect to the player uh, to the teams. And then if not, you can always find the players as well. And that is cool. Uh, the other playoff match that I haven't mentioned, by the way, yet is the Dallas Field versus the Vancouver Titans, who are the winners of Stage 1. That will all be happening the following day, same time. So that will be, for those of you in the Pacific time zone, uh, Friday, May 10th at 6 p.m., and then, of course, two hours later at 8 p.m., and then if you are in EU, unfortunately, 3 a.m., 5 a.m., I don't think I'm going to stay up for that, but I will catch some VODs. We'll, of course, be talking about the rest of the stage playoffs yeah. going forward. Throw one out for the Dallas um, Fuel, by the yeah. way. They don't deserve to have to face the Vancouver Titans in the first round. The only reason this is happening is because Vancouver's automatically seeded as the three seed because they dared to go a whole 25-0-3 instead of the 28-0 that the, the San Francisco Shock did, and they happened to be both in the Pacific region. <laughs> These divisions are dumb, and while they're still in L.A., there is no reason... There should be a division split. It does nothing. It, it adds nothing. And in this case, detracts from the Vancouver Titans, who deserve to be the two seed, and detracts from the Fuel, who deserve to play against the three seed. I think they'd be a good matchup against the Spitfire. I think they're screwed against the Titans. And it's all because we have to cling to a division system in a league in which everyone plays at the same arena. And, and it doesn't even have an effect on scheduling. Yeah, it's not like they yeah. even... It's so stupid. I mean, they're... They're building this up for next season, right? But yeah, oh. I, I, I totally get what you're saying, Chase. Uh, but we've talked at length about how Blizzard is trying to be Wii Sports now. So we got the division system. <laughs> but we've got a lot more esports to cover and not a lot of time. I'm taking a look at our clock. Um, we don't usually talk about this one, but it is a big one and it is really important. Uh, I believe it was last week, CSGO. We had a big event at IEM Sydney. And it was a super epic finals for Team Liquid versus Fnatic. It went back and forth for a long time. Everyone thought this one was going to uh, overtime. It didn't quite. Team Liquid picked it back up. That was amazing. But you'll notice, if you're a CSGO fan, a certain name, a very dominant name, missing from the lineup. And that was Astralis, who opted out of the tournament. Uh, Chase, do you, you want to yeah, talk so, to me why? So this is a controversial topic in CSGO, and one that's going to continue to develop. Um, Astralis are owned by Refresh Entertainment, who you may know as the owners of them, of, uh, of both uh, them, the Origin brand uh, for League of Legends, and the Blast Pro Series uh, tournament events. So 
you have this situation where the Blast Pro series says, hey, we're expanding our series. We're going to do a whole bunch more events during the year. It's all going to lead up to a big finals. We're taking seven teams that are going to be able to compete for that. And one of them, of course, is going to be Astralis. Because why would they not invite the number one team in the world who happens to be owned by them? It's not like Astralis is going to say no. It's That's just a perfect match for them. And it makes sense for them because it means more advertising. It means making sure that no matter what, there is a marquee team at that event and a team that is at a historic pace right now and therefore drawing in viewers like crazy. Now, the problem is that if you want to avoid burnout in CSGO, and this is something that players have complained about for a long time with how packed the tournament circuit is, this idea that you constantly need to be competing to get enough points so that you can be invited to more competitions, so you can get enough points and you get stuck in that cycle. But since Astralis is already at the top, they don't really have to care. They can take their time and pick and choose the events that they go to. So what does this mean? Well, if they go to one event every month, guess what? There's a Blast Pro Series event every month, and the only time they're not doing one is during the major. So Astralis basically says, hey, we'll do two majors and nine big events each year uh, run by our bosses where we get to uh, hopefully make a lot of money against a field that also gets to be chosen by our bosses, and uh, we'll go from there. I, yeah, conflict of interest, uh, to say the least, in all of this, and it's really hard to figure out what to do about that because CSGO is so um, open circuit. You know, there isn't any sort of centralized ruling on whether a tournament series can be owned by a team, uh, by, by the owners of a team. Like, there's that... I mean, yeah, it's it's a wild west, right? You compare that to, like, the st tightly controlled, you know, structures that, that Riot and Blizzard have. And you kind of look at like, well, this is the opposite end of the spectrum, right? This is anarchy. And in some ways, there's a lot of good stuff about that. But then you get into the weeds with these weird situations, um, which is a little bit unfortunate. Uh, now, what you can't beat, though, are the crowds. Because holy crap, man, we had some fun highlights uh, from the IEM Sydney crowd on the CSGO side, on the Overwatch side, um, and, and, and elsewhere, where the fans were just chanting all sorts of crazy nonsense. I have seen Australian crowds. They are absolutely insane. Um, and I just wanted to give a quick shout out because, man, and, and just like in no other game too than CSGO, do you see people like just actively just bantering with each other, like literally screaming obscenities at Twitch chat. And, and at each other um, too. Like I, you know, like... I don't even know where I I don't even know where I fall on this because like I'm part of me is like oh god that's uh, what if like the news sees that and then I'm like yeah but, but it's and also it was really great because they were um, they were also chanting at each other there was an fu Overwatch chat from the CS:GO crowd and then the Call of Duty crowd <laughs> and it was picked up I think yeah. it was picked up on the stream for like Overwatch which was playing Contenders Finals yeah, call, or something I don't know it's, Call of Duty the whole thing back. was crazy it was awesome uh, I love it it's the best crowd I've seen since the. Uh, time the EU LCS, I think, went to uh, to the UK in 2014. And you had the Rock Act oh, guy in that terrible God, game. The fight that. you effing pussies. And it was just so good. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was great. Uh, and then Gambit couldn't get their visas, so they ended up playing with like a totally random team. That whole, <laughs> that whole was, was super fun. Uh, 2014, um, good times. Yeah, all right. 
good times for real. And I went to went to Korea for finals that year. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit more about league stuff actually, uh, because the well, this is this is tangentially related to league. The parent company of the LA Valiant, which of course you will remember as Immortals from League of Legends, has just raised, uh, I believe, about. 30 million in Series B round funding. So we have another one of those ding, 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 ring the bell, funding raise kind of sessions. But this is really notable for League of Legends because, if you remember correctly, Immortals were not approved for franchising in the NALCS, uh, now branded to the LCS. But uh, they're reportedly eyeballing picking up Optic Spot now that they've just raised all this funding. So this is kind of an interesting turn of events. What do you think, gents? Well, this is a little different because, for, if I recall, Noah's not going to be in charge anymore. He's actually going to be replaced. And that but, was... But was he the big bad in Riot's eyes? That he was we really one of, know, do he, we? We don't really know, but there's theories and rumors that he was kind of a reason why. Not because they didn't like him as a person, but they didn't trust that his investing tactics were the best. So... With a lot of the changes coming into Immortals, how they're structuring, I think that this could open Riot to be a little bit more inviting towards Immortals this time around and saying that they want to have them in. I'm not sold on it still, but I can understand it looks better than Optic. Not because Optic is a bad name. In fact, if I'm Immortals, I buy Optic and I keep it because Optic is such a great branding name to have. Purely because of Infinity, I believe it's what they're called. The people who own Optic are not very good at how they well, invest. They are, and they might be looking to get out. Right? Exactly. We've heard some some horror stories about them over the last yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So they're already looking it, to get out. And I, I feel for them because ultimately, Infinity Sports did the right thing, cutting ties with that investor who was arrested for uh, assaulting his wife with a hammer. That's a good reason to stop doing business with them. But it, oh yeah, it is. I didn't even remember that was that yeah, was optic. So, so that's Jeez. why they lost like a big part of the funding. Echo Fox, oh, take notes. Um, yeah, I mean that was a big part of the uh, of the reason they lost the funding that they were counting on, and that's ironically the thing that Riot said put them in over Immortals. They said they didn't trust the uh, Immortals funding and their uh, their revenue stream at the time in which that application happened, and oh how the turntables, I suppose. I, you know, honestly, this is one of those things where, like, I feel like I should be excited because I rooted for Immortals when they were in the league. Um, I'm a huge Flame uh, fan. All hail Lord Flame. May he reach the horizon forever. But, I mean, I've paid attention to what's happened to the Valiant in the last year and a half. I don't feel great about their ability to uh, maintain a uh, well-run, well-structured organization that will do the best by their players and everyone involved. Uh, they've been kind of a mess, and I don't think that Noah Winston leaving is going to be the thing that cleans everything up. If anything, it looks like it's only going to get more chaotic from here. So I... Mixed feelings. Uh, clearly, their investors believe in them, and they got a lot of money that can be used for some things, and obviously if they do buy Optic... They'll have to sell the Houston Outlaws spot separately, which could be another big stream of revenue in for them. So, we'll see? That's, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Um, well, that is definitely going to be a developing story. Let's, let's move on to some exciting, some happy stuff going forward. Um, 
This year's Dota 2, The International, I uh, always can include The, uh, has, of course, raised money itself through the Battle Pass, which was, of course, the first of its kind to do that, where players can effectively buy in-game items to contribute to the prize pool. And right now, as of this exact moment, it is just shy of the $5 million mark for the prize pool. And uh, I don't usually keep up on the exact numbers, but I know, Chase, you are furiously hitting that refresh button. That's a big deal, uh, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you want to put uh, another number on it for people who aren't familiar with what uh, you could expect from this battle pass, um, the way it works is it's 25% of all proceeds from the thing, so you can do those maths from your head. But right now they have a 207.4% increase from where they were uh, at this time last year. Uh, specifically, uh, last year in 24 hours they made about 56 million a little over that um right now we're already at 4.9 and we're only nine hours in so chances are that record is going to be set sometime while i'm asleep which uh i'll miss them reddit clicks but is going to be very cool nonetheless and i gotta say you know i really wish that more games did this because i'm looking at these battle paths like this is so Agreed. cool. Like, you've got the, the special event that's coming up, this Wrath of uh, Moroki Kai thing, which seems really cool, a new jungle expedition mode. You, your towers can come to life and gain cool animations and things. You've got a coach's challenge for someone like me who's like, hey, I might be bad at the game, but I could probably coach someone a victory. You can do that now. That's a thing that you can get rewarded for. And I just, like, I, I want it. I... I would pay you, Riot, if you did this, if you were willing to invest in this, I would pay you. You could make a lot of money. Last year's International had $25.5 million in its prize pool. That was 25% of what they made from the Battle Pass. So $100 million off of this one item. Literally, Literally printing money. money. Mm-hmm. And also, people people just love it. I mean, this is this is what Valve does well is like the few things they actually choose to invest in. They make sure that they are super super quality. And the international is huge for that reason. You know, I don't I don't really know Dota hardly at all, but I still tune in for the international because it's the big thing once a year. You know, uh, and and yeah, it does seem like they're pulling out all the stops this time around, which is pretty cool. Now we have one more thing on the esports note before we move on. And uh, this one is very near and dear to my heart because I don't normally uh, bring you guys into the world of Hearthstone esports. Uh, I myself am not actually as big on the esports side as as much I play it uh, would suggest. But this year uh, and this last week, there was the Hearthstone World Championships, uh, which was normally you know normally it's a pretty it's a pretty cool thing. But this was right after the rotation of um, the latest set of cars that move over into Wild. We talked about this a couple of weeks back and the latest uh, expansion as well, Rise of Shadows. But coming with that was a lot of new and interesting decks, and a lot of them were on display at the World Championship Finals, and the grand final match, which was a best of five between uh, Norway's Hunter Ace and uh, Germany's Viper, it was an all-EU final, which uh, is also a pretty big deal, was absolutely nutty. It was back and forth, it was long, it was full of crazy RNG moments. There's this new card. Ch uh, Chase knows what I'm talking about. Um, Magical. Uh, I think I sent you that video with the highlight reels. Yes. Basically, there's this new card that, regardless of what's still in your deck, you basically get to just pick ten, uh, five different cards, and your deck will be filled with two copies of them. And because of that, 
and another card that basically lets you replace your entire deck with a bunch of random legendary cards, uh, this game went completely off the rails. This game five between Viper and Hunter Ace. And they were effectively playing with completely different decks and just going through a slog back and forth of who can come up with the better top deck, who can turn it into like a full board, who can clear that board back and forth, back and forth. It was absolutely insane. And a lot of the, the, the commentators, the fans, people were calling it the best final in, in Hearthstone history because it really just encapsulates what the game is all about. There's a YouTube channel called Trollden, and I will link the video in the description, that basically just does like fun fail moments. And this week's episode was the entirety of the tournament. That's how good it was. Uh, <laughs> it, it is just, it was so fun to watch. I Again, I, I, I turned it on idly, and I usually don't watch Hearthstone Esports. Um, but I just, I couldn't look away. It was, it was the sickest thing I've ever seen. And I had no idea who was going to win. In the end, it was Hunter Ace by like a hair. But, whew, I can't get over how it was a ton of fun. Was. Um, I, uh, I used to play Hearthstone. And then I, I just got tired. Well, no, Auto no, chess came out. I yeah, I went on my <laughs> my board game uh, adventure. Actually, I, I I was searching for a new card game. I settled on Elder Scrolls Legends. Shout out oh, to that nice. game, really good. But I still watch Trollden because Hearthstone as an entertainment product is still fun to watch. Like it is a chaotic RNG fiesta, and it is really dumb that the World Championships were not played in the competitive year in which all these players qualified for it. But if you could put aside that nonsense uh, and just enjoy it for the entertainment that it is, that game was absurd. Uh, Hunter Ace had uh, almost everything go wrong against him and still pulled out the victory. Um, it was a really fun series. Uh, I have a lot of uh, respect for both of them. Uh, it was, uh, you know... This is, to me, the best way to take in Hearthstone. Uh, you don't need to, to grind all those games and feel bad about the heal druids and the bomb warriors and whatever else. You can just watch other people feel bad about it or feel great about it. And either way, very entertaining uh, compared to actually playing, at least in my case. Um, fun stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it, yeah, so if you guys haven't seen it, definitely make sure to check out, if not the VODs, the Trollden video, which we will link because it was absolutely insane. Uh, but I think we've been on esports for quite a while, gentlemen. Let's move into the gaming mm -hmm. section. How about, yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So first thing we want to talk about is an update on the developing story we talked about last week, which was the uh, Riot Forced Arbitration Clause stuff. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, uh, check last week's episode. We discussed it at length. Uh, but basically, uh, due to some disputes between current Riot employees and uh, also former ones that are uh, basically being forced to accept the uh, arbitration clauses in their contracts uh, over all the stuff that came out last year with Kotaku about the, the workplace culture and you know sexism and discrimination, um, a lot of current Riot employees ended up actually following through with the rumored walkout and i believe it was actually closer to 200 than the original reported 100 on the la campus with uh follow-up demonstrations happening uh in other offices including dublin over in europe and effectively this is this is big news because you know the gaming industry does not have a unionized workforce uh especially not in in america where unions are kind of like dead in a lot of industries and it takes a lot of guts to stand up to your employer this way, but there are strength in numbers. And having that many people uh, show up to that, and, and also still 
the messages that they sent that they were that they were broadcasting to everybody listening uh was really really good like it wasn't like uh you know an fu riot chant thing going on like this wasn't an iem sydney crowd lol um no it, it was it was the employees saying look we believe that riot can be as good as they say they are and this is why we're doing this and and that struck a, a chord with me and i just said wow this is you're literally sitting here saying we know this can get better and this is why we're doing this because this situation is unacceptable and we can hold our company and our coworkers to a higher standard. It, it, it was great. Honestly, I think that, and I might upset some people out there by saying this and siding with them, but of ways to show your discontent with the company, this was the best way. You weren't going out there, you weren't saying, just tearing down the uh, company that you work for, saying that they're absolutely terrible. It's like you're saying, Pirates. They were going out there and saying that we know you can be better. We know that this this company is much better than this. We want to work for this company because we know what you're capable of and the great things that you can do. And this is how you need to handle it. You handle it very peacefully. You make sure that it's organized, where everyone knows what's going on. You know what your message is. You're not going out there and having this muddled message of, oh, we want change. It's like, no, we want change. We want to make sure that we're not being forced to have this arbitration in our contracts so that we have to feel like that if we quit and there's something that we felt wronged us, we can't talk about it or can't make sure to follow up on that. It's, this is the way to do it. This You make sure anyone out there, anyone out there who has any kind of problems with their company, you get together as a group, you get together coordinated calculated organized with a clear message and goal at the end of the day and then you can get hopefully at least get things done yeah i mean and this is why unions are so important right because unions job are to basically do exactly that keep people organized on the same page working together you know instead of uh kind of being picked apart one by one um i agree with uh with almost everything you just said there uh, this is a really powerful thing for them to do. I stand by and support all of the uh, employees who have participated in this. Um, you know, the the one thing I will say, um, obviously, uh, Riot has a history of problems, even going well before um, what happened here in the Kotaku investigation or whatever else, right? We, we have uh, a lot of history going back to Riot's you know, founding as a company, right? And stealing stuff off the Dota All-Stars board and then shutting that down. Like, there's a lot. And I understand the temptation by a certain percentage of people to uh, allow that to make them cynical. You know, this idea that, well, at the end of the day, riots so big, they'll be, you know, the the power's all in their hands and, you know, they'll they'll do some sort of surface-level change, but, you know, whatever. Um, And I think that uh, while that's understandable to, to some extent, I think there's a lot more power in uh, faith and hard work and belief that things can get better. I think the second that you believe that things can't get better, you essentially give up. And I don't think that that's helpful to anybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, shout out to them for fighting for what they believe in, and I hope it makes a difference. And I, I will say this, um, the one thing that gives me hope in this whole situation... Daddy Tencent don't like negative headlines. Uh, Daddy Tencent 
really this likes making money without negative press. And they, for whatever the amount of money or whatever you know nominal thing that they need to do to, to meet uh, the kind of demands that Riot's looking for, that is nothing to Tencent if it gets everyone back in the office and ensures the next update comes out on time and that Riot keeps making a lot of money. So, oh, 100%. And that relationship is an interesting one, too, because Riot, uh, despite being bought by Tencent, a lot of the times we're still kind of demanding their way outside of China, right? And I feel like that is going to shift uh, in this and other... Hey, hey remember uh, that regards. time they snuck but, someone no, into I, China I to try to chase. upset Tencent's reign in China? That was fun. I really enjoyed that segment from Riot. <laughs> yeah, what... I don't even know what, what the heck. Anyways... Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I think, um, you know, you can't you can't afford to get cynical and jaded if you want to see change happen. And that doesn't just apply to this story. It applies to everything as well. So, you know, those of you, if, if you're if you're upset about the state of things what in, in whatever uh, industry or whatever part of the world you are, like, you do got to keep your head above water and see that things can get better if you focus on it and try to find a solution. And sometimes you've got to do what you can do, which in the case of these employees, this is what they can do. They can walk out, still be respectful about it, still make a stink, and keep at it. So, you know, more on the story as it develops. I hope the best for all those employees and for everybody working at Riot, because I, I would like to see things change for the better as well. Same here. Um, yeah, let's move on to you know, more traditional gaming news. Uh, this is about our good old friends at, uh, well, let's just talk about the devs for, for Borderlands, Gearbox. Uh, it was announced that, uh, originally, uh, Borderlands 3, as in development, was not going to have any microtransactions or ways to buy things in the game. Um, it would just be a title, but, uh, no, that's, that's out the window. Throw that one, uh, straight out, because it looks like, as revealed by GameSpot.com, Borderlands 3 will, in fact, have microtransactions and, of course, expansion packs and lots and lots of ways for you to spend your money. Yay, capitalism. Um, this is an about-face, but I guess none of us are really surprised. Well, not at all. The news came from Randy Pitchford, the lying liar who lies all the time. Like, we remember Aliens Colonial Marines, uh, where he straight up lied and said that the technical <laughs> thing would, would represent uh, Aliens Colonial Marines, that there were features in the game. Why are we giving this guy press time? That's a very good question. I, too, wonder why Gearbox still allows this guy to talk to the press. You would think that with the crazy amount of money that Gearbox has made, uh, you know, its connection with Epic Games and whatever else, that somebody would have stopped Randy Pitchford, the liar, from doing all of these conferences. But, you know, the the thing for me, like the the microtransactions point, uh, I think it says so much about the mentality of the games industry that I genuinely believe that Randy Pitchford probably didn't think that cosmetic items were a microtransaction in an age in which so many other microtransactions and loot boxes and things are out there. Like, going back to cosmetic-only microtransactions is a huge step to the point where you thought he could get away with saying there were none at all. And the fact that that's where we are as a gaming industry is fascinating. Uh, though, of course, with all these loot box investigations in Europe and now starting in the U.S., uh, maybe... You know what they say, Chase, things yeah, can only yeah. get better. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, but but maybe maybe not for Randy Pitchford because uh, he's apparently also in trouble. Uh, and I know you, you linked this yeah. one. Yeah, so, well. so the liar, Randy Pitchford, uh, decided that the best thing to do uh, while this whole thing was happening was to uh, send out a tweet criticizing the original actor of Claptrap. But it essentially come out, the guy had said that he wasn't going to... Uh, 
do the uh, the part because the money didn't make sense for him. You would think that would be the end of it. And then Randy Pitchford um, mm-hmm. just starts going off on how this guy was spoiled. Um, there was some really weird language that he used that almost sounded... I think rapey is the best description. Something about him being satisfied, like loving it during the time in which he worked on that role. It was very strange. Um, And so the guy, uh, the actor, whose whose name uh, I I should uh, straight up say here, um, uh, David Eddings, uh, who deserves a lot of credit for the claptrap role, um, went on a huge Twitter rant exposing uh, not only how underpaid he was and and all of these things but also that randy pitchford uh assaulted him uh at a uh, marriott hotel at gdc 2017 uh he's got the receipts to back it up um this is a war that no one needed to pick and he's like well if I, i get to defend myself sure randy we can see how this goes and uh Believe it or not, I'm going to side with uh, Eddings, the uh, voice actor uh, who works in the industry in which voice actors. Well, he doesn't have a history of lying about crap. <laughs> yeah, so. and, uh, you know, I, it just is one of those things where, again, Gearbox, why do you let Pitchford say anything in public? What good is this man doing you right now? Take the Twitter away from him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, um, okay. I don't know how we're going to recover from that one, but we'll try. Uh, Let's move on to BioWare, uh, who have done, in my opinion, a very smart thing. Um, And also a fun fun bit of a tweet. We're not working on Dragon Age 3. We're not working on Dragon Age 5. I guess that's about it. Um, And the reason that BioWare will be working on Dragon Age 4, uh, if you weren't sure which number I was going for there, is because they decided to just drop Anthem like a hot potato. Uh, Which, if you'll remember, Anthem was the game that was supposed to be Apex Legends in terms of popularity, but then Apex came in and was like, woo, uh, and just completely upseated them. Uh, Anthem is definitely going to be left in the dust, it sounds like, at least from Bioware's standpoint, uh, and I, I, I'm not too upset about this. I mean, I feel for Anthem players, right, because all of these games nowadays, under the live service model, the developer is telling you, hey now, we understand that there's some stuff that might not be there, that we said was going to be there before, but that's because we're working on it and we're going to continue to release new content after new content after new content for years to come. That's the whole way this system works is that they keep making new things so that you're paying to continue to play and enjoy the new stuff and getting in return all this content for the thing you were promised you'd get a lot of content for. And Basically, this is Bioware saying, like, you know what, Anthem players? Like, we screwed up with this game, so uh, bye. You know, uh, we actually have no plans to follow up on our plan that they said less than a month ago they were going to do. They've already mentioned delays, multiple delays now, on some of these features and said that some of them that were promised that were supposed to happen within three months may never happen at all let alone what the six-month, nine-month, 12-month timelines were supposed to be. So this is the warning now to anyone who uh, thinks about purchasing an EA game that has that live service model. Their roadmap means nothing the second they think that the cost-benefit analysis of moving on to a different project is hit. Uh, That's exactly what happened here. The player base for Anthem isn't big enough. Awesome. Move the devs over. Leave that in the dust. 
who cares what promises we made when Dragon Age 4 comes out people are going to want to play it and that's what Bioware's counting on and this is why consolidation <laughs> is bad yep yeah. yeah this is a really uplifting oh, well. gaming segment <laughs> There's a lot of sad stuff in the game. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, well, you know, as long as we're on the subject, let's let's just go ahead and, and drive into our last gaming subject. The good news is we got a lot of awesome stuff in the pop culture section. But uh, this is an interesting title of an article, and I'm just going to read it out. And then you guys, I want to hear your reactions in real time. Forbes characterizes Star Citizen's development as incompetence and mismanagement on a galactic scale. <laughs> I didn't know we were talking about the Trump administration. Oh, I'm going to edit that out. Sorry. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it doesn't that it? out um <laughs> nah i'm too lazy i'm not going to oh man i if, if people don't want to listen to this show because of, because i randomly chucked in a yeah, political reference then oh well i this whole thing has been <laughs> amazing to follow for those of you who are not aware of star citizen star citizen uh holds uh, one of the initial records for the largest funding round on Kickstarter. They've done multiple funding rounds ever since. It's supposed to be the biggest, most expansive, most detailed space sim ever created. This game has raised oh, nearly $300 million in funding since that first Kickstarter came out. Uh, that Kickstarter was something like 2013 uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, and the game's not here. And if you're wondering why, Forbes is a very lovely, detailed article about complete mismanagement uh, from top to bottom. Uh, be Just be having way too many resources and no real knowledge of how to expand to meet all of the stretch goals that they had inevitably set, which led to them getting stressed, which led to uh, falling further behind and f figuring, hey, well... Uh, we might as well uh, spend uh, some of this money on uh, on our stuff since we should be fine and then we're completely wrong and did another funding round and the cycle repeated itself. And so it's just like it, it is a historic level of screwing up on literally every level of development. And oh, by the way, uh, there is no release date for this game yet still. Uh, yeah. I'm really glad that I kickstarted uh, Shantae, Half Genie Hero, in 2011. Yeah, that uh, go ahead out. and kickstart the Monster Prom. I'm going to give a shout out real quick. <laughs> Monster Prom sequel just hit Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. uh, the first game is amazing, and you should totally play it, but you should also uh, kickstart the second one if you did like the first one, because if you do, you get access to uh, new modding tools that they're going to put in, so you can customize your own monster, boyfriend, girlfriend, etc. Um, and it's... You know, I'm going to link this game in the description because yeah. we need some happy gaming news. It's real good. Real good. Um, <laughs> it's also 9 out of 10 on Steam. So you know what? Yeah, yeah. Everyone go get Monster Prom. It's half off on Steam right now, apparently. It's like six bucks. I know what I'm doing this weekend. Cool. <laughs> Let's move on. Gentlemen, it is the pop culture section. This is the big one. And, uh... Let's just start with, you know, a continuation of what we had last week. We talked about uh, in the opening weekend of Avengers Endgame, which, of course, is still going to be on everyone's minds. Um, of course, the Internet has also now officially been like, it's okay to post spoilers. We won't be doing that here. Uh, we may still be coming out with a bonus episode at an indeterminate amount of time, but I will not promise that, I, that which I cannot deliver, so that is still a maybe, um, <laughs> unlike Kickstarter and, uh, you know, the uh, Star Citizen development team. But Avengers Endgame 
in two weeks, managed to do it. Hit the big mark internationally. Two point one billion dollars. Doctor Evil would be proud. This is a massive benchmark. It is very easily the highest grossing Marvel film of all time, I believe. Jeez, uh, man. I, I want to go watch it again. Today's like the last day that I think I could see it before I pop back to Ukraine. But whew, yeah. that's a big that's a big number. Avatar, we're yeah, coming for you. Now, uh, 2.23 million as of a uh, billion, I should say, as of right now. So uh, that's they got they got they got two uh, two million more while we were well, talking. A hundred million more, yeah. Um, that's that's uh, the difference Jeez, between okay, Monday wow. and Tuesday. It turns out a lot of people are watching this movie. So I mean, and 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 well deserved, right? Um, I mentioned last week I don't like judging the it quality is. of a movie by the box office number, but I do like seeing things that are really well put together uh, succeed. I think we should all uh, feel that you know be able to kind of celebrate that if nothing else, even though the Marvel films aren't your favorite thing out there, um, certainly. And this is a celebration of the entirety of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Like it is where they're putting a bow on the this this third phase of Marvel. It isn't the last movie. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but it, it really does wrap everything up for this saga. And I think for people that have been invested in this since, geez, since Iron Man or, or uh, you know, even if you got into it around the Avengers in 2012, like this is huge. This is the culmination, right? This is this is the return of the Jedi yeah. of Avengers. I mean, there's a, a couple of reasons why I wanted this to be the last one. I understand that there's going to be more. I'm going to watch the other ones. But I would have loved to have seen this be the conclusion because, ugh, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, there's there's a, there's a little bit more on that. Jason, uh, did you no, want to talk I about Endgame before say, we uh, got into, get for, into this next For those next of fun? you who didn't uh, hear the announcement from Disney earlier today, um, now that this Marvel stuff is wrapped up, they've been talking a little bit more about uh, Star Wars and Avatar. Uh, they've pushed the Avatar 2 to 2021 ah. and are basically going to alternate uh, December releases with a Star Wars episode and then an Avatar sequel. So, um, that's, yeah, that's, that's James that's Cameron James Avatar, Cameron right? Not, Avatar. Not, yeah. not the... Not, not the, not the other yeah, live action movie, movie we, we don't talk definitely about. Definitely remember and definitely holds up, right? That one, the one we all definitely believe deserved. No, that didn't exist. What do you mean? Cry, what do you mean? Cries, what do you mean? cries into my animation. That, no, no, no. It's it's like the Mandela effect. That didn't really happen. You guys are just thinking of another universe when which that happened because I definitely don't oh, remember okay, that because good. I blocked it good. completely from my memory. That's that's really good to know. Actually, I like that. And speaking of other universes, um, we have uh, a new trailer dropping for the last movie in the MCU's Phase Three. It is Spider-Man: Far From Home. Uh, and the reason I mentioned other universes is because apparently this one actually tangles with the multiverse. So you know, if you thought Into the Spider-Verse was going to be uh, Harry, well, this is going to be uh, a whole nother thing as well. And there's been a lot of new stuff that's come out. If you haven't seen the trailer, uh, beware. Spoilers ahead. We are going to talk a little bit about that trailer. I won't get into endgame spoilers, but suffice it to say, uh, Mysterio, aka Jake Gyllenhaal, shows up. Uh, and apparently he's from another universe. And he talks about how the universe that he's currently in, the one with Peter Parker, is Earth-616, which if you're a comic book reader, you'll recognize as the main comics continuity and as everyone on Twitter in my feed is pointing out, why would you trust Mysterio? He's a bad guy. He's got to be lying. Uh, so that's my 
that's my comic geekdom stuff out of the way. But that trailer looks really sick. There's a lot of amazing stuff in it. Uh, Gentlemen, awesome. what did you think? Oh, I'm excited. I, it makes me want to see it, and I, I wasn't actually that, like, dead set on seeing it to begin with. But I do feel like this is kind of their answer to Into the Spider-Verse, saying, oh, you can do multiverses too we here no th- we're gonna do it we're gonna do it this i want there to be a bonus scene so bad where they just throw in a little bit of that animation a little crossover with sony because that, that was be the coolest cool. thing about spider-verse like oh well, i would love that so much i would be really happy yeah, i mean i'm anxiously awaiting uh spider-verse 2 i to go i can give it all of the money uh in theaters this time but yeah i mean for this trailer my favorite thing about it is that uh you may or may not remember pira but when we did our preview of Endgame before we'd gone and seen it, our predictions of what might happen. You went with the kind of time travel angle. Uh, won't say whether that was correct, but I will say that I hey. went for an alternate universe theory. So we both were right. We both get to win. Isn't that great? How often does that get to happen where we both Yay. get to be correct? Equally correct. 100%. That's how that works. everybody wins good stuff yeah well i mean we'll see what happens with the multiverse like i i am kind of like in this like i don't trust sexy mysterio and his like good guy persona because he's a bad guy in spidey's world um we'll see we'll see what happens there uh i that's all i'm gonna say but uh you know from one end of pop culture to another let's talk about a topic that i love that you guys don't really care about uh it's game of thrones and Game of Thrones is about two episodes away from wrapping up the final season eight. It's huge. I won't go into details about it because spoilers abound. Have they uh, all died yet? Uh, close. No. Um, but before we do that, uh, I want to talk about George R. R. Martin and what he just recently said is reported by The Verge. Uh, he is really excited about the Game of Thrones spinoffs. And then he pitched his uh, world-building book, uh, Fire and Blood, which details about half of the Targaryen reign. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, uh, those of you who do follow Game of Thrones will know that there was the probably King. 100 years of history, uh, before that guy came along, uh, and this de- book details it. So, he's really excited about spinoffs. This just tells me he's bored of the main storyline, which probably explains why it's taking so long to write, uh, and we will see some, some new cool stuff. And I imagine HBO will be really keen to pick it up, because after Game of Thrones ends... They might be in a little bit of trouble, as we reported a couple weeks ago, where they're in danger of having a lot of subscribers dropping off. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's been be interesting bad. to follow this season as someone with no skin in the game at all. Because it's... I haven't Have wa- you actually I've been, been watching it? the takes. And this is the, the Twitter sphere, the whole uh, community... Oh man, you're getting you're getting the like exactly. the, the best Everything of hits. Everything is on fire and it's glorious when you're on the outside. And I just it's you know it's one of those things where you know first we heard it was going to be a six episode closing season, and that's usually not a great sign when you have as many open things as you did. And then um, am I allowed to just? I mean, I don't care about spoilers. I don't know if you care about spoilers, magical, but I. Uh, All right, I so know, here's what we'll do. What happens, if you guys, it, we, we're, we're going to, how, how about we do this? We're just going to put a tag really quickly right now. If you are a fan of Game of Thrones and you do not want to get spoiled, fast forward about two or three minutes into the episode, and we won't be talking about this anymore. They but all die. If you don't Great. mind, then uh, continue. Killing off the Night King, just like, 
done, like building him up for like forever, and then he's just dead, and this whole plot line. I mean, it was an hour and a yeah, half a, a battle. battle. Come was on, man! Super like that yeah. we've seen movies yeah. that's shorter like, than that. Hey, all you people who say the episode was too dark, I know it wasn't because I filmed it. So screw you guys. <laughs> and it's just and and uh, yeah. Can I, can I play devil's advocate actually? And like you're gonna Go call this it. Stockholm syndrome, um, but. I, I didn't mind it. at first. I, I mean, while I was watching it, it was annoying. I will 100% grant. I was like, what the hell? Why is my contrast so high, even though I brightened it all up? Um, when I look at it, I don't know if it was deliberate or not. But what I do know was it added a lot of, like, uncertainty to the episode because there was that, the, you know, all of, all of the warriors, like the Dothraki and everybody, like, facing down like this. You can't see what it is. And then all of a sudden this giant wave of dead people come in. And you're like, oh. And, like, it is the long night. It is the dark. It is not being able to see two feet in front of your face. And, obviously, yes, you want to see that for the battle. But, for me, it did heighten the tension and and kind of made it a lot more scary. Like, I was on the edge of my seat almost the entire episode. See, so, I, I didn't mind get that, that particularly. I get that. But, at the same time, you can still do that. You can still make it terrifying where if they're outside of the castle walls, you can't see anything. And it's terrifying not knowing what's beyond there. But when they get to the castle, you should make it a little bit easier. You should be like, okay, we're fighting in the light. This is our realm. Now we can see things. It's a little less scary while still that's, being That's scared. another thing. I will completely rip them for this. The battle tactics that they used yeah. were completely nonsensical. It, exactly. I'm not a tactician. But you all you have to do is Google Battle of Winterfell, and you will find out that there are so many people who actually know what they're talking about when it comes to historical battles. They're like, this was the dumbest strategy we have ever seen employed of all time. I'm like, come on. The yep. entire thing was a diversion to get the Night's King to Bran, and then Arya did her ninja shit. Uh, I'm going to probably bleep myself. Maybe not. Um nah. No, I'm not going to. Whatever. This is a spoiler, the spoiler area anyways. But what the heck? I don't understand why they chose to do that. And then also, like, Danny lost, like, half her army, man. And I get that it's a narrative thing because if she hadn't, like, she would basically have just crushed Cersei the next episode. But, uh, Also, also, I'm still an advocate that the Night King should have been using that all as a diversion to kill Cersei to take over the throne, and then that's the big bad guy, so they have to go that, to that, Night, a, the King's Landing theory. and fight him there. That would have been cool. In another universe, yeah, I, that happens. I like that would have been cool, too. I just, <laughs> to, to wrap this up, or potentially wrap this up, uh, Lindsay Ellis, who you guys will remember, I bring up a lot when I talk about movies because she's very intelligent and has some really interesting takes. This was the tweet uh, that caught my attention today. Quote, No one expected Game of Thrones to have a traditional happy ending, but with the absurd leaps of logic we need to get to where we are and the flagrant disregard for seven seasons of character development, all in service of this fetishistic devotion to subverting expectations. Like, yeah, it does subvert expectation that a wooden medieval projectile could hit a moving target from miles away three miraculous times in a row because that is effing ridiculous. But sure, why not? Being surprising is better than being consistent, I guess. Uh, close quote on that. Uh, she also says that there have been a whole bunch of leaks yeah. as to what's coming next that so far have been accurate. And, and I have I'm not paid attention not to any of them. I don't know any of them either. But I've been told they're quite bad. Yeah. They all uh, died. A, the way she described it is a trash what? fire moving forward. So, good news. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, at some point you can't subvert expectations if there are none anymore. 
what I will mention is uh, a closing statement. There was a really funny gaffe in this last week's episode uh, where somebody, probably now fired, well, I guess the show's already aired, so, you know, show's over anyways, um, left a coffee cup on a table, and it came, it came into the shot. I thought people were memeing about this. I thought this was, like, a bad joke. No, it's real. Uh, there's a coffee cup Wait, in the episode. Wait, how obvious a, a is A Starbucks it? coffee cup. It's like, okay, so it, it's a grainy shot, but very clearly you see the outline of a Starbucks cup, and it just spawned all sorts of memes. And to be honest, I actually love it. Uh, but we will be moving on to the next section. This is no longer spoiler territory, so if you're listening to this now, you are in the clear for Game of Thrones spoilers. Uh, and me <laughs> dropping <laughs> curse words. Uh, it's Detective Pikachu. We're yeah, talking about Pikachu. Specifically Pikachu, Pikachu dropping curse words. Pikachu. Funnily enough. <laughs> Pika, yeah, exactly. Pika. Apparently, um, Magical, what's your best Pikachu impression? <laughs> that was it. Really? That was... Pika, Pika, Pikachu! That's uh, Ash's Pikachu after so many anime arcs. Uh, (laughs) How long has that one Pikachu trained? Yeah, level four. Like on steroids. Well, yeah, but but like he is, but like Ash also hasn't aged. I'm pretty sure Pokemon the anime is like time locked. Um, And let's not even talk about the uh, (laughs) I Choose You Pikachu movie because that was a whole nother kettle of fish. But Detective Pikachu is coming out very soon, and apparently. Uh, according to a Kotaku article, it has enough adult outtakes to make an entire R-rated version of its own film. If there's not a version of Pikachu as Deadpool in those outtakes, I will be so upset. I will. Dis- there has to be an homage somewhere. I will, it absolutely I will has to go happen. somewhere, and I will destroy a Pikachu plushie. I love Pikachu, and I will destroy it if I, that's I not the case. I got some good news for you, then. Um, if anyone's been following... The uh, Ryan Reynolds uh, YouTube channel. Uh, he's been doing a whole bunch of teasers, uh, independent of the official trailers and things. And I, I, I think we're gonna be fine, folks. I think he's bringing his flair into this role, uh, which is exactly what we want from it. I am seeing it on opening night, which is super exciting for me. Uh, and I have heard nothing but good things. Uh, the words heartwarming. Uh, you know, uh, have, have kind of come up more than anything. I, uh, I cannot I wait see to see how this all comes together, I and I can't wait to. M- Magical, are you are you casting a spell in the background? I want to see it. I want to see it. Okay. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, Chase. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, I just no, thought I Magical mean, was summoning a demon or something. I'm summoning. I'm summoning. This is, this is the dreaded demon Fandango, okay. I believe, um, the one that helps summon movie tickets for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are definitely not sponsored by Fandango, but that would be really cool if we were. So, uh, you know, Fandango, you get in touch. You know our Twitter. Uh, but yeah, okay. So that was that was the good CG movie. Let's go to the bad one. I refuse to watch this trailer, um, but. I think a lot of you might have seen uh, an outcropping uh, on Twitter of a lot of somewhat photoshopped pictures and some surprisingly not photoshopped pictures. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Sonic the Hedgehog movie is apparently getting a redesign of the titular character uh, because they don't need to change other things because we've seen Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik and he looks just fine. Uh, I'm probably going to go watch because of that. I think we discussed this. Might have been off I have bad news for you on that. Uh Uh-oh. From what I've heard, he'll barely be in it. Yeah. Uh, okay, then I'm just gonna I'm just gonna watch the trailer and then be content with it. But um, yeah. So the Sonic movie got a less than warm reception from the the depiction of the character, which looks really weird. 
and they are completely reworking it, which is an interesting twist of turns and things like that. And I honestly, I just kind of feel for the animators. Yeah, I mean, here here's where it comes down, right? Because Jim Sterling did an amazing video on this that I highly recommend. Um, on the one hand, yeah, the Sonic here was very not good. TV Sky noted that this was probably because they did motion capture for everything, but that also included the face for whatever reason, instead of like Pikachu where they fully CGI'd that. And so that's why there's teeth, because there should not be teeth, but there were teeth. Um, it is kind of nightmare fuel, to be honest. Like, like the longer I look at it, I'm just ideal. like, the more unsettled I am. Where is Sammy the Sonic fanboy when we need him most? We need <laughs> well, him to return. The... <laughs> Idiots! One of the original designers actually said, like, oh man, I'm glad this is getting fixed because that was not what Sonic is. Uh, and when one of them says it, then it kind of holds some water. Uh, I am afraid of the crunch. Um, this happens a lot, uh, especially to uh, animators in the industry. Yeah, just just to just delay the movie. We we can yeah. live a couple. Seriously. Years Here's the thing, this. and this is the the point that Jim Sterling made that I thought was so brilliant. Um, any movie that has such little confidence in its artistic vision that it'll just say, uh, "Yeah, we'll totally rework the design of our main character." two days after the trailer comes out is a company that one does not have any faith in its own artistic vision and two probably didn't have any to begin with because this whole thing seems like it's just there for brand appeal and hoping that they can coast off of that the movie doesn't have anything going for it outside of the fact that there might have been a nightmare animation version of sonic and now it doesn't have that so what's the point you took away the one terrible thing I could well, hate watch. The... How dare you? Well, the, there's the theories that people have that it's it's kind of like the the new Coke strategy where you put something out there that's pretty bad because you you have the real thing already backstage. Like, no, this is the real thing. So we're get, but it's not that great. And we know it's not that great. So we're gonna give you something really bad while we change that thing backstage that we know isn't that great. And we're gonna try to make it look kind of good. So when we reveal that, everyone's gonna praise us because like, oh, it's so much better. Oh my goodness, thank God they fixed Sonic. And in reality, it wasn't that good to begin with. But they're just trying to make you think that that's better. Yes, it, it's just. Uh. I like I like your theory. I like your theory, magical. The question I want to ask you is: Do you think they're that smart? The question, yeah, nope. The question I ask you is: uh, <laughs> How much do you think that trailer costs? Like that is that's a lot of money to sink on a ooh. Yeah, I give you my tree fitty. Well, I wish, honestly. Man, animation's really good and cheap these days. Um, <laughs> we'll animate for food. Uh, okay, well, let's let's move out of the world of animation and into mm -hmm. Chase's favorite topic, and I'm just going to let him roll with this. <laughs> so oh, I want to hear this was going to get That was cut. mentioned. Yeah, no, we're No we're way. It. I want to hear it. what you, you have to say. You called me out, and I deliver. Jaden Smith has been cast as a young Kanye West in Showtime's upcoming anthology series, uh, where every episode will focus on a different Kanye from another alternate reality. Cue the Twilight Zone soundtrack. Um, wait, yeah, wait. Chase, just take it wait, away. Wait, wait, wait. Before Chase oh, starts, first magical. I, I just want to say something. Did you guys ever... There was a video game that came out. It wasn't that good years ago where it was just a terrible Flash game, but it had an Easter egg where you had to ask the certain Kanye West question, and then it took you to like this magical zone of like Kanye West stuff. 
It was really weird, and that's what this reminds me of. So now, Chase, you go ahead. Wait, ma Magical, I'm going I'm to let you finish, but... Uh, yeah, no, I'm just mean... kidding. Go ahead, Chase. <laughs> First of all, thank you. <laughs> Second of all, I, I... I... You know, this whole thing is just surreal for so many reasons. Uh, Scooter Braun is involved in this, which is never a great sign, but also... Uh, Showtime has a legitimate writer on this, uh, and this anthology is the first they've done in a while, so they clearly seem to care about it. It's going to be called Omniverse, and it's described as this limited half-hour anthology series examining the many doors of perception, which sounds like Kanye went into a pitch meeting. He's like, hey, what if me, but in alternate universes, and it's woke? And that's that was it. That was the entire pitch. And then they said, well, how much money are you willing to put down for it? That He said all of it. And they said, great, let's go. So I, I mean, I honestly, this is one of those things where I feel like I'm going to watch this uh, in a very like mystery science theater 3000, where I just get a couple friends over, we get a ton of popcorn, we grab some drinks and we just watch the whole thing in this surreal marathon of what in the world allowed this to happen. And in the fact that, yeah, and look, look I mean. Kanye's money. I mean, shh. <laughs> that's, that's your answer. I'm surprised yeah, I mean, you didn't that, call it Kanye I mean, honestly, verse. Honestly, that is a restraint for Kanye. It's, it's, it's actually catchy, though. Why not West? I would have been World. okay with that. Mm, oh my goodness, man! You, you think he magical? How show dare you? Like, God damn it! Like, how did they know? Like, I've been working on this for years. He probably tried oh, suing to get the name, man. But at least they're leaning on such a pro prolific actor. Got he could have called it Wild Smith Wild West. If, if, if there's no Cowboy Kanye, wait, I'm going to be upset. Wait, why didn't they call it Wild Wild West? They had Wilson I know, in right? a movie called Wild Wild yeah, West. and they, they have some <laughs> Wild on, Wild West in it, too. Like, there's so many levels. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, like, to be honest, if this isn't just a Vanity Project, that would be pretty interesting. Uh, I guess we'll have to see. Um... I don't even know if Vanity really describes it accurately, though, because it is just... No, no, you say Kanye West. I'm pretty sure that's implied. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like, it is it is interesting. From a pop culture standpoint, I it is interesting. I can't wait. I'm genuinely stoked for what it comes On this out. level. Bit, like, I can't wait. Genuinely. Yeah. By the way, so is, is Jaden Smith going to play every version of Kanye? That's that's. Well, I mean, every plan. young Kanye? Like... Or there, are there going to be 10 different Kanye's, including Dude, Kanye? I would love to find out. I am looking forward to getting every news alert. I, I'm, I'm, actually, <laughs> I'm actually intrigued this now. Is gonna, this is going to be the I, best or worst thing so to come bizarre. out of the last two years. Bizarre, I just can't bizarre. wait. I'm so in. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, okay, so we, we have our, at the end of this, we will have our segment uh, about Love, Death, and Robots to wrap us all up, and then a bit of Q&A. But before we do that... I uh, do want to give uh, a shout-out and um, a bit of sad news to an actor that you may not all know the names of. I actually didn't myself, but um, the actor that played Chewbacca in the original Star Wars, Peter Mayhew, uh, has passed away. Um, so he was 74 years old. This is not all that surprising, but no, but it's honestly, sad still. A, a big, big shout-out to him and his work. And, you know, like for somebody who... We never heard a word in English from. I think he was one of the most influential on a lot of our childhoods and mm -hmm. a lot of people that came before us. So, 
You know, I hope he's getting that. I hope he's getting that medal he got snubbed yeah. for. I hope his family's doing well yeah, too. Yeah, I just I wish him and his the best. Uh, you know, I, I I think that ultimately the one thing I wish for him more than anything else is that he got to really appreciate uh, and enjoy people just falling in love with him and this thing that he was a part of. I think that when you're in a creative industry, you know, you dream of having a series that is as beloved and as embraced and as iconic uh, as the one he was in. And even though his name wasn't the one out there, he played a, a really significant role. And I hope that he knew that and was appreciated for it uh, to the people that knew him well. And I, uh, you know, I... I it, saying something like "May the Force be with him" is it sounds very pithy, but I also don't really know what else fits. I, I just, yeah, uh, thanks for everything, man. I hope you're resting well. Yeah, rest in peace, Peter Mayhew, uh, everybody's favorite Wookie. And well, with that, let's move our way into the final part of the episode outside of the Q and A. I can always forget that we do the Q and A at the end. Um, it is going to be love death and robots last week we did not do it we were jam-packed with stuff this week we are a little bit lighter so we can take the time to do it and we are reviewing episodes five through seven and this ended up being a trip and a half for sure uh gentlemen shall we get underway with uh our first one with episode five sucker yeah, of souls I, yeah it's not gonna be uh, a happy series of three but i think we should just jump in no and a lot of them a lot of them don't seem to be for sure uh, but let's let's start it off with sucker of souls um, this one was directed by Owen Sullivan uh, and basically it involves a archaeological dig where something goes horribly horribly wrong uh, and basically Dracula not even basically literally Dracula gets released um, except he's this giant like anime demon um, he eats this poor Korean kid researcher to the main doctor and then this mercenary crew basically tries to get everyone the heck out of there uh, and kind of fails miserably because lots of vampires eat them. Um, that's it. That's all that happens in 13 minutes. But it is pretty awesome from a visual standpoint. I like the animation style. It feels very... I wanted to say it felt very like not superhero comic booky, but like kind of alternate comic booky, like Like alt... Uh, alt vibes and visuals and stuff like that and a little bit of West Meese's sort of fusion things. What, what did you guys I think, think overall the look and feel? It was a good episode. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good episode. It was... I enjoyed how much they were able to tell in such a little span of time. I kind of felt like there was a little bit too many times, though, where they went into the tell instead of the show. Where I, I'm more of a fan whenever you have more of a... You show how things are in the world as opposed to just having someone tell everyone what it's about and what it's go what's going on. So, it, but it was an enjoyable episode. The art... Every single episode, I have loved the art style. I don't think there's been an episode where I'm like, ah, that was terrible. Each of them has their individual nuances that make makes me enjoy them because it ties so well into how each episode is like this episode you kind of were talking about how it's the alternate style kind of the comic book style which fits in because it's a faster paced kind of episode with a little bit more running and trying to escape with these dark caverns and stuff and it fit perfectly with that uh situation yeah i i am the 
mixed feelings on this one. Yeah. I, I mean, from an art style, it was great. Um, it could have fit into like uh, a Dark Horse uh, book very well, um, kind of from that alternate comics angle. I like the 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 visuals of all of this. I, I also agree that it was very tell and don't show until about the end. I don't know why this needed to have Dracula involved. Like, it was like... <laughs> could have been like some other Literally demon that does yeah, the same Because like, yeah. Dracula doesn't have anything to do with cats. There's certainly no silver bullet. There's no stakes of the heart. Yeah, that part was weird. The cat, the, the thing where he like hates yeah, cats it, it just and he feels won't come like, near them. It feels like they wrote this like their only defense. And then someone said, okay, it's good, but how do we get people attached here? Oh, I know. Dracula. Everyone knows Dracula. They'll be in on Dracula. It, it was kind of cool when he was speaking in Romanian. Like, I thought that part was, like, kind of nice. But I get what you're saying, is yeah. they could have really swapped him with, like, any monster. Yeah, and it wasn't really okay. sci-fi either, right? Like, this whole thing is supposed to be, like, oh, man, this futuristic uh, look at all these different parts of, of you know, uh, society and technology. Yeah, this could have been literally, like, yeah. happening today, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Outside of the mystical part. But, yeah, you're right. It, it definitely felt a little different than a lot of the other ones. Um, the whole, like, running frantic bit, like, did remind me a little bit of The Witness, but obviously it was way less kind of trippy than that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I liked it just because, like, I, I thought the characters that they introduced were interesting, especially the, the mercenary crew. Like, I don't know, I don't know why uh, the research team hired, like, three random mercenaries and, you know, like, it, it definitely, the setting wasn't, like, super cohesive. But the characters made it enjoyable enough to get attached just in time for them to be. Eaten. Lots of great quotes so, that yeah, we that cannot fun. repeat on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, many more curse words than <laughs> Detective Pikachu would use. Um, but yeah, so let's let's move on to the second one. This was a very short one. This was only six minutes long. It's uh, when the yogurt took over, uh, directed by Victor Maldonado and Alfredo Torres, adapted by from the script by John Scalzi. Uh, and this one was this one was more commentary than anything else. It was also like your Pixar style animation, uh, so it already it kind of feels a little bit less like uh, like it's going to be serious and grungy and gory than all of the other ones have been. Um, and basically, it has to do with uh, scientists experimenting on yogurt, who then accidentally make it sentient. And then it sort of takes over the world through like a clever, cleverly orchestrated plan, and it's basically commentary on how humans are dumb. And that's yeah, kind of what I, mean, I got out of it. Certainly, the idea of like, hey, we found the perfect solution to all of your problems. All you have to do is follow the thing that we told you, and the global economy has collapsed. Which I I, I think was, yeah, because, because they didn't follow they never, instructions. Yeah, and, and I I think this was another one where like the short length here means that they have to go through everything very quickly which means it is all uh tell and show i guess is the best way to put it i mean the whole the whole thing is narrated right yeah. like it's literally just the narrator telling the story with yeah, like a little I, bit of I, I quiet guess I just, like I, I enjoyed this for the record um i thought it was funny i, I thought there were some good bits to it um it, the satire is not uh you know, it works well enough. It's just one of those things where I wish that they had actually chosen to flesh this out. I feel like six minutes is just really not enough time to establish much of anything. And so we just kind of, 
hey, yogurt happened, it grew, it's smart now, we should have listened to it, and now it's moving on, and we're done. And I don't know. I, 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 I wish there had been a little bit more of a narrative there, you know, some character we could be grounded to uh, beyond just a voiceless narrator. Um, and the yogurt that talks out of a bowl, yes. which was which was a funny <laughs> visual bit. Um, yeah, that was a little bit weird. Uh, and, you know, I, I also don't love the animation style. It, I said Pixar. It wasn't really quite, but, like, it But the it cute was, style. Very much I like get a, what you're saying. Yeah, cute seer. It was very much a political commentary on, like, how humans can't be trusted to run our own stuff. Um, I don't know. It was it was okay. There were a lot of cheeky little things where they're like, we request control over Ohio. Uh, and then, like, well, that's fine. We'll go to China. Like, that 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 little bit of stuff was, was like, that that's Funny. fun and topical. And, yeah, okay, that's cool. Um, but it, it honestly, for me, it just served as a warm-up for the next episode. Same. Which was my absolute favorite of all of them so far. Uh, and this one is called Beyond the Aquila Rift. It is uh, directed by Leon Burrell, Dominique uh, Bodin, Remy uh, Kozira, I'm butchering half these names, I'm sure, and Maxime Lueri. And it is adapted off a story by Alistair Reynolds. Uh, I actually looked into this, and... Um, the story itself is, is slightly more fleshed out. Obviously, it was a series of short stories by this by this person, Alistair Reynolds. Um, but basically, uh, Beyond the Aquila Rift is a very dyed-in-the-wool sci-fi story uh, that involves, you know, sort of nondescript uh, crew of, of sort of space truckers, you know, a la Alien, um, who are basically on a mission to uh, reach a, a certain destination through some kind of warp gate, but an error in their routing basically causes them to shoot far beyond that point, way off into space, nowhere near Earth, etc., etc. Uh, they wake up from, you know, it was effectively hypersleep, and it turns out that uh, they've, they've, been, they've been pushed far to the edge of, you know, the known human part of the galaxy. And out of nowhere, the captain, Tom, uh, meets up with an old fling, Greta, who is apparently an officer on the space station, they kind of get back together. They sort their stuff out. The other two remain in sleep because there's, like, some kind of sickness or something. And then the first twist, oh, Greta's not being entirely truthful. What do you mean? This this perfect situation that that is so unfathomable is, is actually a lie? Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Good to know. Um, but then the bigger twist happens, and I'll let Chase and Magical get into it, but basically they things are not what they appear. And this is, this is, I'm so glad that you said that this was your favorite, because this is definitely my favorite that we've seen so far. It's, what I was saying, what I want to see more often, the show don't tell. It's the nuances, where you get this feeling the entire time, something's off. You're like, she's definitely not truthful, and then she kind of tells you, like, oh, okay, that seems, that's, that, that's reasonable, that's reasonable. But it keeps going, and it keeps going slowly and slowly and slowly building up where then they release one of the friends because he really wants to and she sees what's really there and he doesn't because obviously his mind's been manipulated and she's freaking out and so he's like something's clearly not right and so when he finally sees what it is it's like a high find kind of deal it's obviously too much for his mind he can't handle it and that's what i love about this episode it was so well done and how they had the emotion shown in each character how they built it up slowly so when you got to that climax the ultimate reveal you yourself even though you knew it was coming you're blown away by it yeah i, I love mean this that. is a story when i when i first saw it starting to play out i thought oh okay they're doing what passengers should have done 
which is, oh, you have the person wake up, you tell the story from their perspective, they see that things have gone wrong, and now there's this person, you know, out of nowhere who happens to be romantically interested in whatever, and, and suddenly, oh, okay, well, he's going to get wrapped up in this, it's going to turn out that she was somehow responsible for all of this, and it's going to come to a head that way. That's where I thought it was going. And so the revelation Same. of, you know... I, Spider isn't the right word for it because she's much more of a, like a flesh. We can, we can, we can call it spider, whatever you, whatever like a, Greta is actually some weird Kalo, some weird alien spider-ish series. Yeah, it clearly is arachnid though. Like the, the way that the web of the whole like hive is designed and everything, it's it's clearly meant to be. This is yeah, some kind of you bug. know what? There's a someone who knows Magic the Gathering is going to be yelling at me, but there's a uh, a card in the Ravnica set uh, or not the Ravnica set. The um, I'm gonna move on because I honestly can't remember right now. But I just I loved how <laughs> all this was done. I to your point, magical the whole idea of like oh uh, the woman could see it and that's why she was freaking out. When they show him getting out of his uh, his pod, they're dead. Like I you can see her body and the skeleton of the other guy as well. So the other dude, who was not even like, so, who didn't even pop out of yeah, his pod so, wh- so yeah whatever like, been was, dead for a bit. was representing them in that simulation was his subconscious essentially being like something here is wrong and you can't see it yet now that's an interesting take that's on it really because i, 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 I read yeah. into this i read into this a little bit and and you know again we we're, we're deep into spoilers territory but of course you know we, we've made that statement already about this uh about this series um I went into the discussion based around the, the short story as well, because a lot of people really did a lot of compare and contrast. And interestingly enough, one of the theories um, was that basically uh, Susie, the, the, the woman who was freaking out, um, she died like immediately following that like shared moment that they had where she like was like, this is not right. And then she, you know, she attacked uh, uh, Greta and then like there was the cut that then disappeared and that led to Tom realizing something was wrong. Um, that that was like one of the theories I saw is that like she had like she was just about to die and then she died and then that's why she's like sitting there all emaciated. Uh, but of course, when he pops out of the pod and he's like, "Oh, this is messed up stuff," and then sees Spider Lady and then freaks out and then the whole thing cycles back over again. Um, there's actually a lot of discussion on whether or not the Spider Person Greta is actually evil and like is she like feeding on him or is. You know, is that is that actually as it appears? And I'm actually going to argue that that's not the case because yeah, there was yeah. a really good argument laid out that like you know the whole bit where she's like oh you know I really do care for you and all the lost souls that get trapped here etc cetera, etc. Cetera. That a lot of it feels too much like she's gone to way too much effort to make somebody who she's effectively feeding off of happy, and we don't actually Agreed. see any like you're getting eaten by the weird spider things or anything like these people are literally just starving and dying. Um, and, and like, you know, it doesn't even feel like it was orchestrated. Like, like this is just a thing that happens. And like this spider alien person who looks freaky as all heck, uh, is basically just finding these people and has no, how, no way how to care for them or how to send them back. So it's just like, well, the best thing I can do is just create this nice dream world that they can drift off in. And, I actually buy that. Same. I actually feel like it's it's the next level of subversion in that sense because you took you take one look at that alien creature and everyone's going like, oh god, that's a freaking Zerg queen, you know? Like it's gonna lay eggs in me. It's not. 
I really I really don't think so. I think I think that's the last subversion of this whole show is that like it feels like horror, but at the end of the day, it's actually just tragedy. I think so too. I never thought that she was evil. I, it, there's way too much effort, like you said, to be put into that for her to actually be feeding off them actively. Like maybe if they die, she does, but even still, it doesn't seem like it. It's like Chase said, there's skeletons and stuff, sure, but they're they're covered in all that crap that she has. But it doesn't seem like she's trying to eat him. He's seen. He's got the beard and everything, but he looks skinny, as though he's starving to death because he doesn't have food and she's not eating him she could easily be eating him and not keeping him alive there's no reason to keep him alive for that long if you're feeding off of him especially if he has no nourishment that he's going to be getting into his body you just eat him quickly and have it done with you don't last it for that it would have to be months for him to get yeah, to that stage. i mean i think certainly um if nothing else she certainly is not masochistic right there's no delight in how this process is coming through and how these people are, are basically being torn apart. Sadis- yeah, sadistic. S- sadistic, you mean. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I do appreciate that. It, it is one of those things where I think, you know, both sides of that can be true, right? Like for him, he's in a world that clearly certain factors just don't make sense. And so, of course, his, his you know, as people, right, we have this idea that we want to know the truth. We want to know what's happening. We want to be uh, engaged. And sometimes ignorance can be bliss. You know, if he just goes along with it and doesn't question what led there and just has a great time, yeah, he's going to die when his body eventually gives out, but he's going to be a lot happier. There is no, in this situation, positive... um, way that it goes if he is awakened to the truth and stays in that hellscape of a planet um it almost to me it's kind of like the the anti-matrix lesson right like in this case if you take the blue pill um hey you get to keep living in this alternate reality set up with this woman you're clearly very attracted to and had this nice fling with and uh, enjoy the last days of your life. That does seem like more fun, and there isn't any Neo who's gonna save you from this one. It looks like so. It, it it's really interesting. And it's also the purpose of the thing too, right? In the Matrix, humans were being used as batteries, whereas this is like, as we've established, it doesn't feel like there's any malicious intent behind it. It's just, well, you're stuck here. Your ship's crashed. You're way beyond the boundaries of human space. There's not yeah, a whole lot I mean, you can do. Certainly, you know, if food exists. Because presumably she's eating something. You know, he doesn't need to die of malnutrition. Maybe she is feeding that's, off that's him. Maybe I, that's why he's emaciated. Who knows? I think I mean, she we, doesn't want to play with her we food, don't know. but she also doesn't want him to be completely miserable and suffering on the way out. But this is this is the thing that makes the story so great. There's a lot to, to kind of interpret here, and you can take it in different directions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And no closure. Ah, oh, it's so good. I love it too. I love when stories. It's leave such. You it's such a good episode. It really is, and it is truly like it's the best one. So the far. sci-fi kind of thing that we were promised. I mean, to be honest, like I still. I think the first episode we reviewed, Sunday's Edge, was was my favorite for a long time because I love that cyberpunk aesthetic. But I think this this has to take it as my new favorite overall yep, in the same series. Here. That's three for three. All right, cool. We're all in agreement. That's got to be an absolute podcast first. Uh. On that note, do we have any questions from any of the listeners? I think we might have already covered the... Uh, yeah, other than stuff. that one, uh, nothing for today. Uh, 
Sorry, we did not uh, send out the uh, message uh, as quickly as we usually do. Um, but no worries, we ran a little over yeah, anyways talking about that last uh, episode. So the, I think we're all good. All the Love Death Robot stuff was uh, was worth it for you guys because I certainly had fun going through this, and I'm looking forward to eight through ten for next time. Right? That's what's next on the docket. Nice. Oh mm-hmm. yes, eight through ten. So that'll be next week, um, but that is going to do it for us here on episode eight. So for myself, Pirate Technics, Chase Wilsonar, and Mad Magical, thank you so much for watching. Say goodbye, gents. I said watch gents. But yeah, say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Made it to the end. <laughs> <laughs>